I'm about to drop bombs in the film facts section. You don't even know. <laughs> And welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. This month, we are discussing Christmas films. We have done this topic before a few years ago. Last year, we did Christmas adjacent films. But this year, we're coming back and reevaluating the Christmas genre, the more, more traditional Christmas genre. Before we dive into Christmas films, though, I want to give a brief kind of housekeeping thing. We're coming up. It's crazy. We're coming up on our 200th episode of the Cination podcast and we're going to be doing Thomas are going to be sitting down in person is the plan. I get to Atlanta. We're going to be in person and we're going to be doing kind of a Q and a with one another. And we want to get questions from you all uh, before we record. And so if you can contact us through social media, if you, you can email us at Cination podcast at gmail.com to send us your questions. You can also call us at 818-514-5714 and leave a voicemail and your question might actually play on the show so we can hear it. Again, the number is 818-514-5714. Again, that's coming up quickly uh, within the next kind of month or two. Um, so send that in as, as soon as possible. We want to get your questions uh, on the show. We want to answer what you guys, we want to answer your questions that we have, have to say about the show. Uh, but that's it on that. Let's dive into Christmas movies again. Thomas, what did we talk about last week when discussing Christmas films? A recap on it. So we talked about specifically how this month we're trying to approach films that kind of take the spirit of Christmas mm-hmm. very seriously. We've done Christmas adjacent films, which often kind of approach the idea of Christmas spirit a little tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. But we're we're taking on films this year. We're taking on the classics and the ones that are r- truly about the Christmas spirit. Yeah. And last week we talked about how a lot of those movies owe their kind of origin back to the Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. which might be the, which is seems to be the, the granddaddy of all yeah. uh, Christmas stories. I'm not a literary historian. So someone out there might say like, Oh, this was before that. But like <laughs> everyone, everyone is, seems to be ripping off a Christmas Carol in some way or another. Mm-hmm including just the idea as we've talked about that that christmas seems to be this time like getting the christmas spirit seems to be this time about a like wanting to surround yourself with loved ones Mm -hmm. and b taking stock of of your life up to this point yeah uh and that's that seems to be something that that occurs in a lot of these films and it's not going to be as heavy in in our movie today but still still factors in but i think the big thing with today's movie uh is like the idea of like uh goodwill towards men type thing helping out your Mm -hmm. neighbor i think that's a very kind of big deal with the christmas genre is that usually with a a lot of times in the transformation like scrooge and christmas carol there is a time when when a when characters begin helping someone else out as part of their growth in some way yeah Um, and there there is still this this big idea of like who do you want to be spending your Christmas with? Yeah. And I, I think that's going to come into play with this one. And I agree with you on that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of other Christmas movies, you know, shout out Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> and I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> a, a classic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, that's a theme that shows up a lot in these movies as well. It's like, you know, you gotta be home for Christmas or you can't be alone on Christmas or yeah. who, you know, if you can't be with your family on Christmas, who are you going to surround yourself with? Yeah. And, and, 
that I said that is going to come into play big time in, in today's movie. And what is today's movie, Thomas? Today's movie is 1954's White Christmas. And this is a favorite. Favorite, as you've said before, this is a favorite of your families. This is a this is a family classic. I, I may have talked about this before on the podcast, but we've got three three kind of warring factions in my household as to what is the the Christmas movie. My pick was last week's It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. My sister's pick is White Christmas, and my father's pick is Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. And we cycle all of those movies out to to make everyone happy where's your mom stand out of these three she likes all of them okay she's she's the she's yeah. the switzerland of the group she just her only rule is no christmas story and, and <laughs> everything's good that's fair i understand i think i think i think i wonder if there's a burnout of christmas story for some people like it's it's i think it's like <laughs> one or the other it's like you're either really you're burnout on it and don't want to watch it ever again or you're the person is like watching it all the time come christmas time mm-hmm so yeah, so we're talking about White Christmas Day, as Thomas said. Thomas, can, let's let's jump into it. What is like what is White Christmas about? So White Christmas is about two kind of showbiz teams, um, a a very famous team of uh, like Broadway musicians played by Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye, who became partners during World War II, who served together and became partners, and then the Haynes sisters who are kind of more up and coming younger shit like lounge act mm-hmm. played by Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. And they are going to end up together at this ski lodge for Christmas and find that the ski lodge is owned by a, a the former general of the two men played by Dean Jagger. Mm-hmm. And they all four decide to do something special for this general who's kind of living a, a less glamorous life trying to run a rundown ski lodge yeah, after the war yeah, he's fallen hard times uh at, it's it's probably like like eight nine years after world war ii and he's mm-hmm. or it's never it's not it's not set if it's in 1954 but i'm assuming it's present day i assume it's almost a decade yeah there seem, seem, plenty of time seems to have passed since the war enough time for for these guys for um this act to become like world famous or maybe it's actually only two years because it shows early on it's like two years like like two years on broadway is what it says of like crosby and Kate. Oh, okay. so my, i just remember that because I, I, it had the montage at the beginning of like them building up mm-hmm. I, it's, it's wallace and davis yeah wallace and davis it's i would say five years so it's probably like at, which is odd uh when looking at it now like a movie about five years after but 10 years released um but yeah yeah it's it's a nightclub acts crosby and them but yeah it's very much in this kind of like tribute to like veterans is what will come into play i think a lot of, like in the beginning and the end of this movie and it is kind of the music is written and it's kind of like produced from from our modern perspective of what a producer does irving berlin did that yeah. for this movie which we'll talk about talk about how this movie came to be made mm-hmm. um directed by the legendary michael curtis mm-hmm and costumes by the also legendary edith head yeah she's amazing some amazing costumes in this yeah and it is currently available to stream on netflix Netflix, correct correct, correct. I, that's what i watched yeah. five minutes ago before coming on <laughs> okay perfect it's fresh so brandon you've you've heard my history with this movie what other than five minutes ago what is what is your history with with white christmas so my history of white christmas is interesting because this is one that it's the opposite of, of you in a way is that this was never a big movie 
in my household. Um, I had not seen this film since high school before watching it to just today. Um, but things were still kind of like in my, in my mind about it, but I haven't revisited it since, uh, since then in terms of looking at it in a more kind of analytical way. Um, I, I talked to my mom, I was, cause my mom does not like white Christmas. Just, I don't know. I, I asked her why she, I, I'm not a Danny Kaye fan. She's just not a Danny Kaye fan. So that's why mm-hmm. she, she's not a, a fan of white Christmas. And I, I, the, Interesting. the one that was, I think, uh, just uh, it might be problematic for some uh but the one that was played more in my household uh or at least it was on tv that we watched was holiday inn uh with bing crosby and fred astaire which is where which we'll probably talk about where white christmas originally uh uh is originally in it's originally in, in a holiday inn problematic due to the the abraham lincoln blackface uh performance they do but that was kind of the one that was played a lot on cable growing up over white Christmas, I think is what it was. So I think I just, we watched that one more. Um, and I like Fred Astaire is the thing. So, so yeah, so white Christmas. And so because of that, it's like, I never really revisited the movie ever because the family that wasn't playing, uh, on the TV at, at Christmas in my family, it's usually other films is what it See, is. Yeah, I don't, I don't count holiday Inn as a Christmas movie in my book. That's fair. Cause it's, it's, you could argue it's a Christmas adjacent simply because a lot of it it's doesn't about, like take... it's about every holiday about every yes, holiday in it. it's right up there with meet me in st louis and the lemon drop kid is just like a movie that is not about christmas yeah that just dropped an iconic christmas song <laughs> but i, I yeah make me in st louis is also an interesting one because like the most famous thing from it is have, have yourself a merry little christmas um but yeah it's very much about different holidays but i think the key with why it's kind of considered a christmas movie both of them are is because I think the climax of the films take place at Christmas. So that gives it this like Christmas feel almost throughout. I know with Holiday Inn, it also begins at Christmas and ends at Christmas. And so that's why I think that one kind of, again, it's fallen out of the rotation of the past years because of that and also because of the controversy around it. I I think TCM occasionally shows it uh, still, but very rarely. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. I I think White Christmas in comparison is definitely a more Christmas themed film because the entire story takes place centers around Christmas throughout the the entire plot. But it does, there is like a lot of carryover from holiday Inn into this movie is the thing. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's, that's my history. It's very, I said, it's not as uh, ingrained in my, in the sparks household (laughs) as the Horton household. Let's dive into, uh, Let's dive into how it got made and see that there may have been some versions of this movie that your mom would have liked more. <laughs> okay. So the story of White Christmas um, actually begins in 1940 when Irving Berlin wrote the song. He wrote the song White Christmas in 1940. In 1941, he sold it to Bing Crosby, who performed it on his radio show for Christmas, uh, which was just a few weeks after the attacks on Pearl Harbor. The next year, 1942... Berlin put it into his film Holiday Inn and Crosby sang it there and Berlin won the uh, Academy Award for best song uh, that next year for White Christmas. Okay. Holiday Inn was a huge hit. Like you said, it was Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Uh, they worked together again in 1946 on Blue Skies, which was also an Irving Berlin mm-hmm. piece. Um, again, if I didn't make this clear early on, Irving Berlin, songwriter... <laughs> 
but also kind of weird like he would he would bring these catalogs of songs to the studio and say like i have an idea for a movie based around these yeah, songs yeah and then they the studio would hire somebody else to write it so kind of like writer songwriter yeah. developing producer yeah. like all all of this, this kind of rolled into one yeah, this isn't that kind of tin pan alley day for those who don't know i'm just like where it's like musicals back then even till pretty much i think into the 60s where it's like musicals you wanted to have like that one good pop song that like transcended the musical into 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 pop culture and i think berlin was the type of guy where he took all the pop songs and put them into a musical and just like filled like basically like i said here's this here's my catalog make a story about it basically mm. so in the in the 50s berlin came back to paramount and said you know let's get Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire back together again. Third time's the charm. And Paramount said, yeah, that sounds great. We'll front the production budget of the film for only about 30% of the gross in return. It was a very interesting deal they cut with him. Like, I'm, I, I don't think he's credited as a producer on this. They call it Irving Berlin's White Christmas. But like the, the, the deals he was cutting was wild. Like the studio paid for the movie. Uh-huh. And then gave him seventy percent of the gross wow. to like allocate as he wanted. That's what I was gonna say. Like, it was he getting thirty percent of the studio. Wow, that's yeah. Whoo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he wrote almost entirely new songs for the film. Mm -hmm. Obviously, White Christmas. The the movie was built around yeah. White Christmas, already an existing hit. At this point, White Christmas was the best selling single of all time. It sold a hundred million copies with. Bing, of Bing Crosby singing it alone oh, and God. in the past 10 years uh, 15 years since uh -huh. it had come out it had sold an additional 200 million copies of other people covering it so <laughs> 300 million copies in rotation of, of White Christmas at this point so wow obviously the studio is going to be like yeah you want to do a White Christmas movie yes we're in like <laughs> I don't even know what to compare to what's a huge hit song from 15 years ago somebody was like let's make a movie about this song like yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's more like Christian movies nowadays is what I think mostly does it. It's like, I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can I can only, only imagine. imagine. Yeah. So White Christmas was already existing. The only other songs that he that were somewhat previously existing was he repurposed existing tunes that he had to turn into Snow and What Do You Do With a General? Hmm. They had both been tunes he had written for musicals that didn't move forward. And so he just kind of recycled them. Everything else was new, which mm. is kind of interesting because a lot of the, the musicals around this time, like Singing in the Rain, were recycling almost entirely existing songs. Yeah. And was was Easter Parade, was this bef Easter Parade a few years before this? Um, yeah, I believe so. Because that's also, yeah, that's six years before. That's also Berlin because it, ta mm -hmm. it takes Easter Parade, which was in... Uh -huh, which is in Holiday Inn, and they make so basically Holiday Inn has two movies go off of it based off a song. It's the, in it. it's the Holiday Inn cinematic universe. That's what it is. Yep. Um. So Crosby and, St and Astaire were tapped to reunite for the film, but after reading the script, Astaire backed out. He, from what I've heard, he told the studio he decided it was time to retire. He did go on to make more movies after that. Yeah, but he, but um, he had a lot of like several retirements so he's like i'm hanging it up yeah. and then go away for two years like i'm coming i'm bringing back he's like he was michael jordan in that period where he just kept <laughs> retiring coming back kept retiring coming play back. baseball for a little while yeah <laughs> so the studio then with a stare out the studio then decided the perfect guy to pair up with ben crosby was donald connor donald o'connor <laughs> was it really okay <laughs> yeah who had just recently kind of broken out with 1952 singing in the rain yeah 
And so they started moving forward with him attached to the process. It sounds like they got into rehearsals wow. at some point with him attached. Um, but then he took severely ill. There's not a lot of info. I don't know. You know, with old Hollywood back then, he Don O'Connor did have some like rehab uh, mm-hmm. stints. So that may have been the issue at that point. But um, he backed out. And so then they turned to up and coming funny man, Danny Kay, who had been fairly successful at this mm-hmm. point, but had never done like this kind of movie it was more of a comedian, even though he did have kind of the song and dance skills. Mm-hmm. Kay recognizing the promise of the project. I mean, you got to recognize they come to you. They're like, Hey, we had this movie. It was going to be Fred Astaire. <laughs> it's going to be Donald O'Connor. Now, we're coming now to you. it's you. <laughs> Are you in? And you're like, yes. Negotiated an almost unheard of deal at the time. He got $200,000 plus 10% of the gross. What? For his deal in this movie. Paramount's just giving up money. It sounds like. <laughs> I think they know this is going to be huge. huge yeah, I don't know. That's what it feels like. That's like, like just like, yeah, we just want, we just want some of it. Like you just give eighty percent so far. I want this. I wonder if Crosby got any of this. Uh, God, ten percent for a, for like second build guy. Yep, that's a that's crazy. So as the cast was rounded out, uh, Vera Ellen, who was one of the most popular dancers in Hollywood, was recruited to play mm-hmm. one of the two Hain sisters. The other hand sister, there was a big search mounted back in back in this time of Hollywood. A big search didn't mean open auditions. It meant look through your catalog of people of contract players yep. and see who you turn up. And they found 25 year old Rosemary Clooney, who had just signed onto a Paramount contract the year before. And she was picked to play Crosby's love interest. And despite being half his age. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, yeah we'll, exactly. We'll, half we'll, we'll talk about that as, as we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, legendary director Michael Curtiz signed on. He had an Oscar and almost 200 movies under his belt yeah, at this point. Yeah, he directed a lot. He an directed- Oscar, of course, for Casablanca. When Kay joined uh, and it became kind of more of a comedy, two writers were brought on to punch up the script for him. Mm-hmm. The original script was by uh, Norman Krasna, but Mel Frank and Norman Panama were brought on to rewrite to initially punch up the script they suggested a full rewrite and curtis agreed wow so the production which had been in rehearsals at that point broke went through eight weeks of rewrites um, frank and panama were splitting five thousand dollars a week fee to um to rewrite the script completely mm-hmm. And came back with a new script. Frank said, writing that movie was the worst experience of my life. Norman Krasnow was a very talented man, but it was the lousiest story I'd ever heard. It needed a brand new story and one that made sense. So not a lot of wow idea of what that initial one is. I'm very curious if maybe Astaire had seen the second version. When he would have said yes. If he would have passed. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like He, he saw the script. He passed. Yeah, and then the script was later completely reworked. Yeah, so, so maybe, yeah, who knows how bad it was initially? <laughs> All right, so the cast and crew—they went through six weeks of rehearsals, which is like does not happen yeah. today. No, yeah, that's never gonna happen. Um, <laughs> never gonna happen. And a uh, two million dollar budget from Paramount—they set underway to make White Christmas. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough. We talked last week about a Christmas movie that was shot in the summer. Uh-huh. They shot this one from September through December of 1953. Interesting. But it was all interior, so it didn't really matter yeah. that it was somewhat winter outside. And it was also L.A., so, so yeah. it wasn't really winter outside anyway. It was probably but, 75 degrees. Yeah. 
it was probably Vermont when they go to Vermont and he's like, it's 68 degrees out here. We're let's like, like no need about the electric blanket. That's pro that's LA for sure. All right. So it's fresh in mind, Brandon. Let's get some, <laughs> let's get some favorite scenes. Well, first off, I want to say this. Cause I said, I, I said before, like I, I never watched this since high school and this is not a big one in my family, but when watching this, it was during the snow sequence where I was like, this movie just feels like a warm blanket. <laughs> like that's just what it reminds me. And so with some of the articles you sent kind of walk that tightrope too of like what kind of trying to describe it where it's like a very cozy, like it reminds you of like memories of like, you're kind of like, Oh, like growing up and you're like growing up and going to your grandmother's for Christmas or whatever. And a lot of this movie kind of has that same feel. I think especially in the first half, like the kind of the early kind of 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And then the back, back half hour uh i i really like the beginning of the war stuff or at the war mm. that's kind of always there's always like there's like three big spots that i remember a lot of like after seeing it once and it was and the war spot was the big one when he sings white christmas for the first time and like when danny k saves bing crosby uh from mm. from from the the bomb i think that's just like it, it's this movie I said earlier on, it's very much it harkens back to World War Two and to war. And you have to kind of think that when they're making this, you said they made it in the end of 1953, like America's coming out of the Korean War at this point. So it's this very interesting kind of look at veterans and like veterans affairs, weirdly in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so that opening is a very somber, but tries to be like pay gratitude specifically to the general to, to Dean Jagger's character. And I, and I find mm-hmm. that to be just a really good scene. There's a, um, there's a video I watched in, in my research. That's kind of um, a couple of critics talking about the film and kind of the history of the film mm-hmm. and some film historians, including um, Drew Casper, who's, who was a faculty member at USC, but mm-hmm. um, they all talk about how having Curtis on this movie kind of makes it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't primarily a musical director. He wasn't one that you think of, of like, oh, he just did studio musicals. He was a, we've talked about him a lot. He obviously did Casablanca. He was a, he was a a major swashbuckler. Yeah. Did a lot of the kind of Errol Flynn. Yeah. He did stuff. He did do Yankee Doodle Dandy. That was one he did do. Mm -hmm. But they they were talking about, you know, if, if, if they had handed this movie off to any of their kind of roster musical directors, like would that, initial war sequence had looked as good as it as it does yeah i don't think so i i think he really kind of masters that where it's like uh i think he knows when to like i guess even though this is like i think he passes away like not long after this movie like a few years later um so he has like lost a little bit of a step in certain moments compared to say casablanca like 15 12 years before um but he he really is able to capture those moments of like um emotion and, and again the somber moments i think he, mm-hmm. he he does this he directs one of his last movies he directed was elvis's king creole which is mm-hmm. elvis's best movie and it's the same thing where he's able to kind of look take those kind of human moments and make those the more stronger moments and the music's almost secondary yeah well i think if we're talking about the war sequence i, I might show my hands for a little bit later but i think that the two secret weapons of this movie are Michael Curtiz and Dean Jagger. Yeah. Cause Dean Jagger is like not playing it. Like he's in a musical. Nope. Nope. Movie. Nope. He's playing it just so like 
I, I would almost it's it's very it's a very like understated performance. I feel like a lot of the mm-hmm. time it's not a, like he he could I mean he could play a big loud general if he wanted to, and that and you know like the kind of Gene Kelly musicals of the era like if this was a war kind mm-hmm. of war musical or whatever the general would be almost like an over the top character. I always feel like where he's the com- like the comic relief in some way, but Dean Jagger really does a very kind of uh emotional uh performance in this movie and he's i think he's great throughout i agree with you i think i think he is kind of the it it hits me as you get later into it this is kind of skipping to another scene but it it comes in when when crosby's reading him the letter that Mm, he gets from the government uh, or from his friend who's in the military and the army and like basically uh the general dean jagger's character um i'm blanking on his name uh tom tom waverly it's like he's um he's waiting to get the he he's he's older but he's like i want to go back into the military i want to go back in the army like there's nothing for me here like they're about to accept me and then he gets the letter from his buddy who he asked and it's just kind of like no you should just stay at home on, yeah, on your front treats porch it like a joke yeah yeah like, ha, ha, ha. and and jagger's reaction is just it's just perfect like it's like this this man is like he now feels like and again it's this veteran this this again view of like veterans is that he's like i've put my entire life into the army and now when i need it the most they're like throwing me back out there and not helping me out at all i left my my glasses are in my room i i would like to read this by myself but i'm a little anxious read it son slowly Starting to play trombone a little too, but see if I can get, get focused in here. Dear Tom, why you dirty old... Uh, skip that word. Um, <laughs> certainly was a surprise hearing from you. Your amusing letter was appreciated more than you imagined. Of course, you've got plenty of time to be amusing, sitting on that porch, rocking away while we put in a full day's work. You always were a lucky stiff, and I envy you. A few years more, I was saying to Edie the other evening, and... I'll be able to take it easy like old Tom. Old Tom. Oh, well, some people have all the luck. Everything's fine here. Carol had the mumps, which uh, is... The rest of the letter is, uh, is about the family. He's telling me that well, they can't use me. No place for me. We're not fooling each other. What's the scene for you? I said two, so... <laughs> <laughs> I really like the stuff at the at the club for the hand sisters where they yeah. introduce the hand sisters, yeah. not just the like sisters yeah. sequence, which is which is great, obviously, but but kind of the you know the meeting of them and the 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 way you know, classic rom com like the two guys they have the 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 dialogue about the eye like the brown eyes or the blue eyes and 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 finding out about their their scheme with their brother Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy. <laughs> that that's that's a really fun sequence i mean leading leading up to them getting on the train and realizing that that um uh, he's given away the, the train tickets to to those girls yeah i th- I think like you said i think pretty much from like when they go to the club to like when they arrive in vermont is a very strong just like big sequence of those of those four kind of characters yeah i love the scene when they're at the table and like k is like trying to set bing crosby up and he's just doing a horrible job. He's like, I was reading an mm-hmm. article about like kids. How do you feel about kids? <laughs> <laughs> and 
Crosby just like you're pushing it as he's like drinking his, <laughs> drinking his gla- glass of champagne or whatever. Those moments, I think that moment, I think the moment on the, on the train together, I think that's where all four, like the chemistry of all four of those really, really works. It's kind of their peak. And I think for being a, a brand new duo, and uh, I, I think Crosby and Kay work really well together in this movie. Yeah. I think they've got a good dynamic. I think, I, I feel like they, they're more together earlier on in the movie than they are like later in the movie. I think later mm-hmm. they kind of separate. But yeah, I think like the opening, I think the montage with them is really good. It has this very singing in the rain vibes of like of of Don, Don Lockwood and and Cosmo mm-hmm. uh, like going up like it's their hoofers. They're like going from like the bottom rung to like we're Rodgers and Hammerstein. Basically, um, we run Broadway. And I think you that they really do have, like you said, for two guys that haven't been in a film together, they do work. Well, this is great. Just great. We pay for our tickets twice. Now we're going to sit up all night. What are you screaming about? If we took a plane, we'd be sitting up all night. We're not taking a plane. We're taking a train. A train on which we had tickets. Tickets for a drawing room with two nice, warm, soft, comfortable beds where at this very moment two blocks... Oh, no, you wouldn't do this to me. Wouldn't do what? After you dress me up like a dame. You get me involved with a sheriff. I almost lose my life trying to catch a train. I... I know, I... I just know on top of all that you you wouldn't take away my nice warm bed and let me spend the night out here in a drafty old club car. You wouldn't do this to old Bob, would you? Whatever are you talking about? I, I also love one of one of my favorite lines from this movie is uh the the showgirl who's, who says mutual, I'm sure. Oh god, yes. It's, when they're when they're at the it is so good that was one i like when i was a kid like i knew that's what she, i did not understand that joke whatsoever and then like one year one christmas it clicked for me that like she's just like learned these lines of how to have a like high class conversation yeah. but she has no idea like what the proper prompts are for it that's the best things happen while you're dancing kind of reprise mm-hmm. uh, uh section which is a great section. Like that's one of my favorite kind of musical numbers, I think where it's mm-hmm. like, they're kind of, it's the, it's again, it's the kind of romance rom-com where Danny Kaye and them are like trading off like uh, uh, dancing partners. One, one I got to throw out and give a huge shout out to Edith head in this, but Rosemary Clooney's love. You didn't do right. Oh, by me. Fantastic sequence. Incredible. Yes. Yeah, it, it reminds me a tad of like it's 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 not the same it's not the same but it reminds me a tad of like diamonds are a girl's best friend mm-hmm. with Marilyn Monroe yeah. very much that kind of like essence that's going for different like because I think uh, Monroe wears pink and and Clooney wears like all black here but I think it really works and this is the moment I was like oh this is kind of the show stopping number right here it feels like mm-hmm. this is that one so the, and it's I think it's a great build up too to that scene so so she's. She's mad at Bing Crosby, but she hasn't told him that she's mad at him because mm-hmm. it's a classic rom-com yep. overheard misunderstanding. But she's she's left Vermont to go off to New York to do her own show. And he's not realizing she's mad at him has like shown up to see her show. Yeah. And they've got that great moment where she like sees him and is going to her stage manager and is like, we got to cut this song. We yeah. got to cut this song because it's obviously this song yeah. about how heartbroken she is <laughs> over him. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's great. It's the best song in the show. You got to do it. <laughs> no, no, let's so do that she one. has to go out and like 
keeping a little topical it's like if taylor swift had to go out and perform all too well the 10 minute version if jake gyllenhaal was in the audience like hey guys i know i know what's going on in pop culture but uh, it's great she she kills it and it and it's like i don't know it's such an interesting thing for her character because it's not it, it feels raw like it feels like the yeah. emotions she's going through but it also feels like she's like trying to put on this like it's it's like it's not her yeah you know it's 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 new york it's it's glitzy and it's just not quite her but also yeah. it is very honest yeah yeah i agree with you i think yeah i think she's fantastic and and i think that that's where like because i think Clooney was fine throughout the film but that's where i think she like elevates her entire performance in that moment mm-hmm. in that song because that's what i think really kind of sets her apart from vera ellen because vera ellen has a lot of the big dances throughout the mm-hmm. like that's the things that kind of sets her up for all the dances and Clooney hadn't really had that one big number we'll talk about that a little bit in, oh really uh, okay in in uh on set like okay because yeah and so i think that really like it really hammers on that she's she's she was right to be in this movie my one love affair didn't get anywhere from the start to send me a joe who had winter and snow in his heart wasn't smart oh you didn't do right by me as they say in the song you done me wrong yes mr love you done me wrong do you notice who's in the in the dance by the way i i did you can step on it i had it i had it later on oh, in okay, facts, okay. but um he pops up a couple of times oh does he i didn't know i just know yeah, yeah george shakira's uh yeah. from west side story he's he's the one that kind of pairs up with vera ellen a few times in the movie like in the mandy oh, okay. um, sequence when she comes out he he's kind of because i think he's the only person who could keep up with her oh really danny, danny k could a little bit on the best things happen when you're dancing but um but the the few times vera ellen like really cuts loose in some of the show pieces it's pretty much always george shakaris i know um, yeah and like another dude playing opposite her yeah another dude they have because i remember uh, john yeah john i said uh brassia i believe is his name mm. both mm-hmm. of them because when i watched it i was like that guy like somewhat looks like danny k but not danny k and, like, <laughs> and i was like i wonder why and then now it makes sense and like i mean because also like danny k a, like a decade older than her is what it is like not mm. not moving as fast he was i think he was not 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 too much she she was 33 when they shot this and he was four um, he was 43 she was, she was a, and he was 43 okay yeah, yeah. Um, but there is there is actually a, a a very quick shot in the best things happen while you're dancing where he trips her up and she just like recovers immediately because she's that good. Mm. What's one more What's one more scene you have? What else do I have on here? Oh, I love I love the snow the snow song. I know we kind of talked about the train snow. stuff. I think that I I really like that snow because here's the thing I I the thing about this movie for me is a lot of the songs aren't hits <laughs> in this movie. A lot of the songs aren't hits. So the ones that I think, I think, I think he has like four, four or so that I think are, are good. And then you have like white Christmas. Like, 
I, I, I think there's a lot of stuff in the middle I could almost do do, do without. You know, like the the let's put on a show stuff. Oh, oh yeah. That well, like the one that's the most the most just odd that I was like, we can cut this right was choreography. We when I was a kid, my dad would fast forward through on the VHS. Yeah. My dad would just fast forward through choreography. It's literally it's like it, it adds nothing to the movie whatsoever. I get the first one they do. Cause it's kind of, cause it's a nice little cutaway of like, they this huge number and then it's just like Dean Jagger, his granddaughter and like Mary Wicks. That's <laughs> funny. But then yeah. anything else after that, <laughs> and, unless it's something to do with the character, it's just useless. And that choreography we just wants just so like, why are we, in, why are we here? Why are we doing this number? And then just like, so like, what is, what is your favorite of the, like, Oh, interesting. other than white Christmas, what's your favorite of the, like part of the show part of the show that they do. Let's see. They do the the like the minstrel like Mandy. Yeah. Uh, they do choreography. Probably, probably Mandy. Gee, Mand- I wish I was back in the army. Actually, no, no, no. no I'm sorry. Gee, I wish I, b- I was back in the army. That's my favorite one because yeah. that's that's all four of them. Yeah, and they're they're really I think they're they're all they're all having a good time in that one. Yeah, it's fun, and the the staging of that one's really interesting. That the like little like false bodies that like wheel out on the stage yeah. for them that's a, it's a it's it's very cool the way it's kind of put together i mean it's a weird like sentiment of just like man remember world war ii those were the days it's like <laughs> what it kind of comes off as which is very odd but it's it's a really good it's very much like um was the andrew sisters that did the uh mm-hmm. uh was it soldier boy eagle boy and yeah, yeah, Bugle boy. yeah 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 uh like that those kind of like like doo-wop not do what, but like very just like kind of radio tin pan alley. Yeah, like, like the, the the USO show. USO shows. Groups. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would do that, and, and and that and that really harkens back to that kind of tone or style of singing. Um. So yeah, I, I like that. I like Mandy as well. I think Mandy's also a, a. I think just for Vera Allen's Vera Allen's dancing in that sequence, I think is is amazing. You know, like the the part when they're just telling jokes via song. Oh God. <laughs> he should have tended to the sick and left the well alone that's hilarious dude what was the one about the dog on monday what do you do about the dog on monday it was like how do you stop a dog from biting you on monday you like, remove the dog's teeth on sunday gee i wish i was back in the army the shows we got civilians couldn't see how we would yell hey for Dietrich and cornell jolson hope and benny all for free a lot to be said for the army the best of doctors watch too carefully a dentist and a clerk for weeks and weeks they'd work they'd make a thousand dollar job and give it to a jerk oh gee i wish i was back in the army no i do i, I think choreography is interesting it's it doesn't we can talk about a little bit later on why it is especially interesting but um yeah, not all of them bear repeat viewing, but I, I do think yeah, gee, I wish I'm back, I was back in the army mm-hmm. is is a lot of fun. I I love just the we'll follow the old man wherever he wants to go. Oh yeah, for for both moments that can be that can yeah. be my last scene. Okay, uh, I'll throw that out there for my last scene in the movie is is Dean Jagger walking out. Oh, to it's amazing! Oh god, he's great. See his entire company there, and and they all sing for him, and he gives them like the the inspection. Yeah. No, I think that's a really great moment. Um, like you said, because it's it's he is he is kind of the emotional, like he is the kind of the heart of the story. Jagger is kind of the heart mm-hmm. of the story, 
where like if you don't have him this is why i think what this movie has say over and if we're gonna compare it to say holiday inn this this is the heart that holiday inn like doesn't have holiday Mm -hmm. inn just kind of a little like a romance story type thing you have that dean jagger dean jagger is kind of the heart of this movie that really kind of elevates it to something something more than what a lot of films this era would be yeah holiday inn and and a lot of those kind of let's put on a show movies at the time were like we've got some romance and we're putting on a show and this one was like we got some romance and we're putting on a show but we're putting it on for a good reason yeah again to to tie in this christmas genre i think that's what makes it like pure christmas a pure christmas Mm -hmm. film where you again you have that goodwill towards men type thing where you're helping someone out in a time of need whether that be a mental thing that be a financial thing it could be anything and i think i think he is mentally jack uh uh, tom waverly is 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 mentally at a low point and Mm. this moment brings him out of that and i think it's handled very well specifically because of curtis's direction as well i think yeah. i think i think it's it's a big it's a big scene it's a great reveal they're all in the room and you had that you know that long shot of him walking down in between them i think i think it's fantastic yeah yeah and and you know along with the the, the that that kind of christmas theme I, I i think there's also this idea and and someone we haven't talked about is is kind of the comic relief receptionist oh, housekeeper mary, yeah, mary wicks character yeah yeah um, but I, I, there is this aspect of like, um, like adopted family, you know, like mm-hmm. created manufactured family, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But like all these people are stuck in this lodge in the middle of nowhere for Christmas. And, and by the end of the movie, they do kind of become this family. I, specifically, I think of when Betty comes back and Dean Jagger's granddaughter, um, along with the, the, the receptionists are like, just so excited that Betty's back and they like you know go running to her and hug her and you're like oh this is this is this weird little family that has come together in, in this secluded uh snow lodge in the middle of nowhere with no snow how could you have sent all my suits to the cleaners you've only got two well i think you'd send one at a time then in that case why can't you wear your uniform yes i won't appear in uniform please Grant. absolutely not very well i'll explain to bob and phil that you didn't care to come to the show tonight i'll have you court-martialed Co- Susan, you're not obliged to go. They haven't done much for you, hardly anything. Listen, Emma, I'll make my own decisions. I got along very well in the Army without you. It took 15,000 men to take my place. Susan? (laughs) 15,000 men. Well, a little bit of on-set life. So I I watched an interview with Rosemary Clooney, who was the youngest person on the film, so live long enough to do modern interviews. (laughs) Um, and, And she said when she was offered the job, she took it immediately because she wanted to work with Bing Crosby. She was very intimidated by him. By all accounts, was a very kind of cold dude. Yeah. Uh, from from everything I've heard. But they, they got to be very close on the set. She said that they were, they harmonized together very well. And so he like kind of immediately took to her because they were so compatible singing wise. She also said Crosby and Danny Kaye got along fairly well. Um, Kay always seemed to be spending all of his energy trying to make Crosby laugh. And she said maybe he wasn't as successful as he always wanted to be, but Crosby seemed to to warm up to him as well. Mm-hmm. So some stories from like other sets of Crosby just not being into it whatsoever, but it sounds like he, he got along pretty well with, with everyone who was on this one. I wonder if this is when he started like smoking marijuana. 
<laughs> he, was, he was a big marijuana guy. I say him like Louis Armstrong would smoke all the time, I think is what I remember on hearing. The, on High Society? Yeah, just all the time. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> uh, with, with, with Sinatra around? Hell yeah. So Crosby was reportedly very uncomfortable with the, the kind of semi-drag of the sister scene. Yeah. But it's actually really fun if you watch the scene. So that supposedly is the first take. Really? And Kay starts hitting him with the feathers, which was not rehearsed. <laughs> and if you watch by the end of the sequence, Crosby's not even lip syncing anymore. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> he's he's kind of like covering his face up with the feathers, but he is cracking up. And uh, supposedly Curtis enjoyed it so much. He just said, like, cut, rap, yeah, print. It, yeah, it worked. That's it. <laughs> because they're not supposed to I mean they don't have to know it word for word they just saw this thing perform mm -hmm. yeah it really works for his character with the kind of because he was feels like he was responding to the scene much in the way that his character is responding to having to do that so the the dynamic kind of really worked out there yeah so vera ellen was cast for the movie for her dancing ability she could not sing at all uh -huh. so the the band leader on the pre-recording session the band leader's wife trudy stevens actually sang all of her parts in the pre-record sessions okay interestingly vera ellen's biographer originally wrote in her biography that rosemary clooney sang all of her parts and even though he has later retracted that mistake uh -huh. that is like a very widespread trivia if you go google trivia about white christmas it is everywhere that Ros rosemary clooney sang both parts but rosemary clooney has also said in interviews like no that was because trudy stevens was actually a friend of hers mm -hmm. as well interesting and as you as you noted uh earlier about rosemary clooney not having a lot of dancing roles she could not dance at all <laughs> so vera ellen couldn't sing rosemary clooney couldn't dance and she there's a quote from her where she says if they could have dubbed my dancing we would have had a perfect picture <laughs> But that's where you get there. a lot of kind of tricks were employed to cover up that she couldn't dance, including those big feathers in the sister scene. Oh. Those kind of wheeled out fake bodies for the G.I. Wish I was back in the army scene. And then ultimately, I think to the credit of the love you didn't do right by seeing it is her staying like almost completely yeah. still with George Shakaris and three other guys dancing around her. That makes Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It goes to that character, I guess, character in the song and her of like this heartbroken one again it's interesting again it has this like monroe vibes to it even though it's not Marilyn monroe it has these monroe vibes to it mm -hmm. also george Karras, if we, we threw his name out there that he might might not be a strong enough name for everybody who we were talking about but <laughs> you guys know george Karras, right uh from west side story <laughs> not he was nominated for an oscar he, he, for he won for for west side story one he won for west side yeah. story yeah he we, if you if you follow the show you might remember yeah we covered him on our west side story episode and he they like said we he starred as uh bernardo mm. in west side story when they not won the oscar for it and that was kind of his big his big break um and this was kind of i don't know if this is it wasn't his first film but it was it was very early in his career so he was probably 20 at this point wow 20 mm. years old when this movie oh he was also sad thing he was also in diamonds our girl's best friend apparently as a dancer no for Mel there you go. There maybe you that's go. why you think they're similar <laughs> so anyone who anyone who has watched the film might have clocked something at the very beginning of white christmas oh yeah that it is the first film presented in vista vision so without getting too deep into this very <laughs> peculiar time period 
in in film history um in the early 50s with the rise of television studios were desperate to show audiences that movies were different from tv so they had to like this is really when color became like a big thing they had the technology for color before but this is when they were like okay tv is black and white movies have to be color and and each studio was trying to find a gimmick when it came to screen size they all wanted to patent their own aspect ratio um brandon you and i covered this in class with leonard vaughn where we got like very deep into like all the different aspect ratios (laughs) but i mean it could it was literally like inches and they and one studio would be like this is my version yeah cinemascope Um, vista vision uh yeah. yeah So VistaVision is actually, if you if you go back and read kind of the historians that do get really deep into this, a lot of them credit VistaVision as being like the most innovative of them, which is interesting that they they put. I mean that they turned around. Yes, they turned around and put a musical onto this like cutting edge technology, but also like we said, everyone at Paramount thought this was a absolute oh, this... sure thing because it was the biggest song of all time. Yeah, this is a tentpole. But yeah, so an engineer at Paramount invented VistaVision. It, this was the first film released in the format. VistaVision uh, consisted of 35 millimeter film being fed horizontally through a camera, where normally it is fed vertically through a camera. So it created an extra wide Im- image that could, very importantly, be projected in any theater without having to make any changes to their facilities, unlike some of the other uh, technologies at the time, including Cinerama and cinemascope which required in order for the theaters to show them they might have to change their screen size they might have to change the projector that they were using but VistaVision used the film that these studios were, or that these theaters were used to showing it just shot in a different format that made it wider and was higher res yeah the colors are amazing yeah so yeah it was pretty cool pretty cool yeah and for the, and to, to 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 bring it in modern day is that VistaVision is kind of the beginnings of IMAX and seventy millimeter IMAX. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what VistaVision is, but it's just happening yeah. in fifty four. Um, <laughs> and I think I think I, I'm reading that Hitchcock was a big uh, promoter of VistaVision, and it was like White Christmas was the first one, but the most popular one, like the big one that kind of pushed the format was vertigo four years later and also i think because VistaVision did have because i I, this is getting way too technical for me but (laughs) the the negatives the negatives on a VistaVision of film are like even more vivid than other film at the time because of the wider yeah film the the way that they were shooting film so it was wider which is why white christmas looks great and also the 4k vertigo is insane insane yeah (laughs) And again, again, both those movies, I think of like the 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 color palette that's so strong mm-hmm. uh, in, in in each film. So for aftermath, this movie opened at Radio City Music Hall, uh, Christmas of nineteen fifty four, as one of the most highly anticipated films of the year. Like you were saying, this was a tentpole, and it lived up to it. It was. The biggest film in the box office for 1954. It grossed 30 million dollars at the box office. What's that nowadays? Which translates to about 308 million dollars today. Wow. And what? And it was two million dollar budget, right? Yeah. <laughs> 20 20 20.5 million dollars. How much would it cost if that was made today at that price? Mm. That's a big. Yeah. That's a big turn Turned of profit. 300. <laughs> yeah. So even with their 30, percent I think Paramount came out fine. Yeah. 
Um, so it was kind of kind of came out to mixed reviews. The New York Times critics said um, every, everyone liked Fist Division. That that is important when you read the the uh-huh. reviews. Everyone was impressed with Fist Division. But uh, the New York Times said, fortunately, the use of VistaVision, which is another process of projecting on a wide flat screen, has made it possible to endow White Christmas with a fine pictorial quality. The colors on the big screen are rich and luminous and the images are clear and sharp and rapid movements are got without blurring or very little, such as sometimes is seen on other large formats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Director Michael Curtis has made this picture look good. It is too bad that it doesn't hit the eardrums or the funny bone with equal force. This is Bosley Crother, right? For yeah, he's a name that's popping up. He was, I think, he was one of the reviews we looked at last week for It's Wonderful Life. His name pops up a lot, mm. and usually negative. By the way, if I remember correctly, <laughs> <laughs> Variety, Variety liked it a lot better. They said the director directorial handling by Michael Curtiz gives a smooth blend of music, thirteen numbers plus snatches of others, and drama, and the climax creates a genuine heart tug that will squeeze tears. Mm. I mean, it's got to also be remembered, Curtis. Every all the reviews mention VistaVision and mention Curtis. Yeah, I mean, this is like I don't even know who the equivalent would be right now if so and so was to do a musical, but it, it was kind of, kind of, kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, who who would be the equivalent of Miles Curtis nowadays? That's a good question. No, not, no, fortunately, we don't have anybody who's who's squeezed out two hundred films in their career. I, but I, uh, I, I would say Soderbergh. I, I would Soderbergh. I would I would might even say like Zemeckis actually. If it was Zemeckis a few mm. years ago, I think of someone who's like who's worked within like multiple genres over yeah. several years. Soderbergh actually would be kind of fun to see. I would like to see Soderbergh do a musical just to see. Just to see. <laughs> I don't know if I, I honestly don't know if I want to see that or not. I mean, I would watch it. What what movie what movie Okay, here's a side question. What movie has Soderbergh's catalog would you want to see as a musical? I you got to go you got to go Ocean's 11, right? You got to go I think Ocean's too. 11 musical. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um <laughs> okay. Oscars, 1955 Oscars. Uh the only nomination for white christmas is count your blessings nominated for an oscar for best original song it's fine but lost to three coins in the fountain the titular song from the film three coins in the fountain which uh, <laughs> i gotta say has not endured yeah has not endured the test of time <laughs> but that song also beat out 1955 strong song category 1955 oscars that song also beat out the man that got away from the uh, oh stars Stars oh that should have won that should have (laughs) won that's a great song that's a great performance by her too so what works in white christmas what works well the the vista vision most certainly works Mm -hmm. um and we i think it's it's interesting looking at these movies like because you look at vista vision i was looking at kind of studying it studying it as you're talking about it, it's like it stopped going it stopped they stopped using vista vision in 61 but they continued using it for like special effects stuff and like mm-hmm. that's exactly what nolan uses for like all of his films nowadays is like vista vision vista vision technology basically um so it still is important in our modern day kind of film world um i think edith head's costumes are amazing one we didn't talk about is the ending the finale of white christmas where it's like all the red like the reds of the they're wearing the santa claus type outfits i think are phenomenal mm-hmm. and again it pops with the vista vision the color of it i think for what it is i think all four of them have great chemistry together um mm-hmm. throughout 
I think I think they ha- I think I think it's it's almost like an underrated kind of rom com to me in some moments. Like whenever I seen that we talk about it, it's like it's it's the Danny Kay uh, Vera Ellen scene where she's like, Oh, maybe I should get engaged. And he's like, Yeah, maybe you should. And it's like they're just the back and forth and everything. I think there's some kind of nice moments like that. Yeah, I really think I really think Danny Kay kind of elevates everybody in this movie. I'm sorry <laughs> to your mom. But like Crosby, obviously Crosby had a history in, in yeah. comedy, but often kind of as the straight man. Um, but Vera Allen didn't really like I think he brings some like really fun comedic moments, even with Dean Jagger. I love the scene when he's like faking his broken ankle and yeah. Dean Jagger's like trying to trying to help him out, but also really wants to go see his show that's that's on right then. Um, I, I think is I think is really fun presence in this movie, but who knows? I, I think it would have been a very different movie with Fred Astaire in this. I agree with you. I, I mean, I would be intrigued to see what Donald O'Connor does. That one I am kind of intrigued by. Uh, I I wonder, Danny. I think I think Danny Kay is. I think I enjoy him outside of the musical sequences. Is kind of the thing more. I don't mm. really, again. I don't like choreography. Is that basically what I'm coming up with? Which we'll get into what didn't work. Um, but like I I I just think I think he is a better comedic guy. But and then you have this like maybe he's not. He's not a scene stealing comedic guy. I think he carries things though. Is that, I think it's like it's weird. He's not a straight man, but also kind of a straight man. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like he's somehow able to like not be fully showy, but still get his laugh in, basically. And anything else what worked that we didn't mention? Yeah, I think I think we've covered everything. I think, you know, I think um Curtis is a huge help to this movie. I think Dane Jagger is a huge help to this movie. But yeah, kind of this this blending of all these things that kind of make it feel a little bit more than just a let's put on a show yeah. musical. Um, like you said, it's got some very solid rom-com aspects to it. A lot of that because of Danny Kay. It's got this kind of dramatic, like, what are we doing to our veterans message that yeah. is, is kind of pushy for... It feels like in, in 54, if you say like, hey, hey, America, maybe we should take care of our veterans. It kind of feels like you're going to end up on uh, on some lists in, in D.C. <laughs> with yeah. that kind of sentiment. But yeah, um, yeah it's like the, what what can you do with the general is like a very like int- that's why it's like the military stuff is odd to me because like you have that. And then it's like, gee, I wish I was back in the army. Like it's like it's a very I think that was a little more tongue in cheek. <laughs> I know, know, but I find it. I just find it funny. Like, wow, we went from like kind of depressing like oh there's no world for him for him anymore is like what comes off as with the veterans and then it's like man what a time (laughs) (laughs) three meals a day for which you didn't pay yeah so what didn't work well you know how i feel about choreography um i think i i think this movie like i think it has a good like first 40 and then a good ending 30 and then like the lot of the stuff in between. You just want to cut all the all the like kind of let's put on musical <laughs> stuff. Interesting. Interesting. I've brought that I've brought that up on a couple of like let's put on a show musicals we've talked about on this on this podcast. And I'm just like, no. Like. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, forty second street is perfect as is. As is. Um may and, and may and maybe that's man being too like I I feel like there's just a, I, again, I think choreography is it's 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 honestly there it feels like just so being crossed we can have a phone call 
That's all it's there for. Because <laughs> he goes like, hey, get wow. this person on the I phone. Wait. I'm about to drop bombs in the film facts section. You don't even know. <laughs> Um, I, 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 the music, the music's very hit or miss in moments. And there's really some really good numbers, really good songs. And there's just kind of like forgettable ones is the thing. I think, I think it's just a lot, a lot of the songs just feel kind of like forgettable is the mm. thing. And, and maybe it is that stuff in the middle is, is, is kind of, it just, it, with the script, it's like, it, it, it's, it, I almost like wonder if, if we, if you trim some of it out, if it's a little bit tighter script because like yeah. I, it, it takes a while from to get to Vermont and get to like the general, like to get the Tom Waverly's. Um, and it's like 50 minutes in, it feels like. So it just feels like kind of late hmm. of like, what are we wanting to do here? Like, where are we go? Like what, I, like, what are we, what are, what are the two, um, what's Wallace and Davis doing? Like, I know they're going after the two girls. It just feels just kind of like it's, it's wandering a little bit. And that, and that kind of like third, like a kind of 35 to 45 minute thing. If that makes any sense. I'm getting very, I'm getting very nitpicky. It feels like with the, how I'm like talking about <laughs> this time periods, this time, time, time of the movie. Um, yeah. I just feel, I just feel like it, it's, I guess that's like, I want to get to Dean Jagger earlier mm-hmm. and kind yeah, of that. I feel that. Um, and then like less of the let's put on a show. Cause then it's like, let's put on a show. Like, why are we bringing them all? It's just to have like, have a big show and help them out financially. And then it becomes like, Oh, I got to bring more people to like make him feel good. It just, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff in there where it's like, it's almost like we're jumping around of like what the goal is with these characters. Okay. I can, I, I can back. I mean, having been raised fast forwarding through choreography, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> I will say in the last couple of years, it's been instated in, in my household that we don't fast forward through choreography anymore. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a few. Oh, um, but uh, no, I, 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 I feel that I think I do think it's it's got a very strong opening. Yeah. The war stuff going into the, you know, sisters is, yeah. is very fun on going. The train is fun. Mm-hmm. You meet you meet run back into Dean Jagger that that you got that great moment where Danny Kay like sees him for the first time and, uh-huh. and like freaks out. Um, what does he say? The, the general is a janitor. <laughs> Uh, he's like no it's worse i own the place <laughs> worse a landlord yeah. um but yeah it, I, I, you lose some of that momentum yeah and that's that's always been my problem with like the let's put on a show yeah musicals is is you you at some point you're gonna lose the story momentum when you just start doing these throwing these random songs in but that, that was the trend of the time yeah one, um, one other thing i'll bring up too is is crosby's age <laughs> he's getting he's getting a little up he's there, getting all up sure. there and like it, it, it you can tell yeah this was so this was like what what did you pop you, you said maybe like five years after the war so he was like 45 yeah okay yeah that's a little questionable and but then but but then, but now it's like it, but it's being done in 54 so like how old is he actually it's like he's playing he's he's 51 in yeah in, in the movie i mean when when he shot the movie he was 51 yeah yeah it does kind of make you especially when danny Kay's is like talking about settling down and having some kids you're like you better <laughs> he better that soon because like <laughs> he, he's he's probably living a hard life you know on the road all the time doing the shows mm-hmm. i don't really have alternate universe cast because I, I had to go into that for the sake of the the story of production yeah. but alternate universe cast is fred astaire and donald o'connor mm-hmm. um 
film facts. All right, you already you called George Karras. Um, do you know who do who did uncredited choreographer work on the choreography sequence? Oh man, is this fifty four? Probably Bob Fosse. It's Bob Fosse. Yeah, can't believe you you wanted to cut the Bob <laughs> Fosse scene from this movie, Brandon. <laughs> Uh, see now I feel different. Now I feel different. <laughs> now I gotta rewatch that choreography scene and see his Bob Fosse. <laughs> yeah, because when you now you say I'm like, wait, because he's he's at he's he because he's ha- he's under contract in the 50s at this point, like doing performances. Um, because I think him and Stanley Donovan become friends. I think he it's like Dan mm-hmm. Yankees is in this period, like 54, 55. Mm-hmm. I think I'll I'll relook at it because I I think I, <laughs> maybe because the about the cutting part, it's like. Maybe it's because like it just feels so separate from the entire movie. It does. It's it does. Kind of the thing. And, 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 but when you come at it from the perspective of Fosse, you're like, oh, this is like it is. He's trying to kind of push this style, which is, which will become his style. Yeah. And the, the whole sequence is about how like not buying into that style. But it, it's interesting. It is. But yeah, it doesn't fit in the movie. Yeah. But I do think it's an interesting little film piece of like early Fosse work. Yeah uh freckleface haynes the dog face boy i don't know if you can call it a true cameo but when they show the picture of uh-huh. him uh-huh. that is uh carl schweitzer uh who played was the original alfalfa on our gang oh wow that's a picture of him grown up so this one's this one's weird this is getting it even deeper into the weird studio contract stuff of the of the 50s but mm-hmm. there are two versions of the soundtrack for this movie the recording for the movie soundtrack was done by a record label called deca yeah but rosemary clooney was under an exclusive deal with columbia so if you were to buy the official if you were to go out to the record store in in 54 and buy the official white christmas soundtrack you would get all the movies from the film but with peggy lee singing rosemary clooney's parts wow you could also go to the record store and buy Rosemary Clooney sings white Christmas with just Rosemary Clooney performing eight songs from the, from the soundtrack, but you could not get Rosemary Clooney and Bing Crosby singing count your blessings together on the Oscar nominated song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Think, think that's a weird, I'm just like, what's the, what, again, we, we keep looking at like, what would that be today? Like, if that would be like we did you go you go to buy sh- the single for shallows and yeah it's and, yeah and bradley it's... cooper and kesha <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just lady gaga being grand, singing like uh um alibi or or, or, or or black eyes and everything like on her own <laughs> <laughs> maybe this time she sings maybe this time is what it is so a, a fun story that came up a lot when i was doing research on this was that when they shot the last scene of the movie, I don't, I couldn't find if they shot the whole thing chronologically, but they shot the last scene on the last day, the big oh, wow. white Christmas oh, with, the, with the ballerinas and all that stuff. They shot that on the last day, had it in the can by lunch. Wow. Cut wrap print. We're good. They break for lunch. Michael Curtis goes, hey, guys, listen, they had a lot of people dropping by the set because it was a big movie. Like yeah, we said, yeah. biggest song of all time. Everybody wanted to come to the set. Curtis goes, hey, everybody, the king and queen of Greece are coming this afternoon to watch us shoot the movie. We just finished it. We can't turn them away. Everybody break for lunch, and then we're going to come back together and pretend like we're shooting that scene over again. I'm not going to roll the cameras, but 
we're going to pretend like we're shooting that scene over again for the king and queen of Greece. And Rosemary Clooney says, Bing Crosby is standing right next to her. And he goes, I'm not. (laughs) Had already called and made a tea time at the golf course. And he just bailed. And so the king and queen of Greece came in and sat down and watched them recreate this scene with Bing Crosby's Standard. audio playing over the playback oh and he's just not in the scene <laughs> we're doing close-ups we're doing close-ups here <laughs> we didn't need bing bing had somewhere to be i love that i'm, the, I'm sure the king uh, queen of greece had no idea no, how I, movies yeah, worked, they had so no they're clue. just like whoa this is cool bing's like i'm not <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> no no guys I'm a, I got tea time. I got tea time, Beverly. We got to go. Got a tea time, air quotes. Yeah, tea, yeah, tea time, time. With, uh, with Louis, with Louis Armstrong. Armstrong and David Bowie. Oh, I forgot. I forgot he and Bowie did that thing. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, little, dr- little drummer boy. Yeah. He was hip. <laughs> I did not. I just. I guess I just found out that was not tobacco in his pipe. You know, there is a type of pipe called the Bing Crosby because oh, like that that like classic yeah, like, yeah. like short that is that is called the Bing Crosby now if you like go into a pipe store like that's how yeah he was famous of a pipe smoker he was yeah I think I read he was like very much like yeah you got we should legalize marijuana he was very big and like <laughs> I swear to you he was that he was that guy so that's why David Bowie did his Christmas show okay I was wondering all right do you have any story questions how how, how long does the uh how long does this this end last like what's like what's going on with this like do they stay? Do they have like a, once the snow comes and they get super famous. Oh, I forgot that was some trivia I had down. I don't know why I lost it. That was the same set as Holiday Inn. I knew it. I knew it was. <laughs> I was like, this I looks they so familiar. It, they had it wrapped somewhere. I don't know if they left it. I, surely they didn't leave it up on a stage. No, but when, um, when you go, here's the weird thing. You can go look at old, like those old Hollywood studio films, and you will just see repeating sets. Like mm-hmm. there was a whole. I mean, this is ten uh, ten years different. Doesn't matter. You can go see. There's there was a special feature on like the Wizard of Oz DVD one time where they actually showed you where the sets of Wizard of Oz appeared in other films. So mm. you would see like the 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 uh, Munchkinland set like in a 1950s musical, just like in <laughs> the background. And I'm like, that's odd. Again, that's like 15 years later. So they they just keep that stuff in storage at that point and then just bring it out. They need something. I think Ben does fine. It's been on TV now. Super famous. I think they do great as long as it keeps snowing. Yeah, I, I yeah I think I think they do fine. But they still have a, like a floor show. It's like the Wallace and Davis and the Haynes sisters come back every Christmas. Not Wallace and Davis. They're too big. We could never get them. Yeah. <laughs> That's another question. Do do Wallace and Davis like now go to back to Broadway? And have a show like for the Haynes sisters, is what it is. Yeah, I think they're I think they're yeah. in the show. Yeah, like ha- I mean, you know, they never really call it, they they go to see their like floor show, right? And they're like, uh-huh. wow, yeah, they're pretty talented. Then they put on this show at the end, and because Vera Ellen doesn't really dance in that first floor show, no. So uh, they they don't have that moment in in the in the movie where they like they're like, hey, maybe we should try this scene out, and she just like yeah goes ham <laughs> on it, and they're like, oh shit. <laughs> She can dance. <laughs> we might have a show. We might now. have a show, guys. Go get Bob Fosse. <laughs> it's like Bing Bing looks to Danny. I think we got something here, man. <laughs> it's 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 George Clooney going. You think we need one more? Yeah. <laughs> I think we need one more. Also, for anyone not aware, George Clooney is Rosemary Clooney's nephew. Nephew, yeah. And her 
Rosemary Clooney's son with actor Jose Ferrer was also actor Miguel Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer. Who passed away a few years ago, he but did. was a very talented character actor. That he was. Um, any other story questions? Do do or do we think Danny Kay and, and, and uh, Vera Ellen get married? Actually get married. Or that, that lends itself to my story question. Okay. Which is after repeat viewings of this film, is there a little bit of queer coding in this movie? With with Phil? Yeah. It it feels like it. It, it you know, it's that, that whole like idea of like the confirmed bachelor, but he's so afraid of commitment that he is just straight up afraid of women. Um I don't know. You know, that's the queer theory is very interesting. Sometimes it involves, you know, looking for things that are put in there on purpose that we know in some cases of these movies were like slipped in, but other times it's like subconscious. Well, it, but um, it's, yeah, it does. It The way he plays that is very interesting. Cause when you say that a line that hit me in that exact scene that we're talking about was when she goes uh, like about what she needs to find to marry. She goes, Oh, it needs to, or I need to find a man. He goes, Oh, of course. Like, <laughs> there's some, there's somebody he just says like oh 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 that's a must is kind of what it says and I was like that's an odd mm-hmm. line to say <laughs> I mean it's I know it's the 50s and it's like it's making a it's trying to make a joke and like oh yeah it has to be a man and a woman but like it just felt very like it, it hit me it was just it, it, and maybe it's just my 2021 ears um that did that but it was odd it was an odd line and then now when you say that it's a little bit like and then he because then he follows up with like won't even like kiss her or something like he's just like almost definitely like literally like running away from her yeah yeah yeah. interesting all right moving on to awards we have our bhs straight award for the actor or actress with limited scenes who kills it is is it is it mary wicks are we are we thinking what do you what do you think think? it is i think it's mary i think it's mary wicks i think it's mary wicks too as the kind of receptionist manager or whatever of the of the hotel yeah very nosy and and for those who don't know mary wicks uh probably the most most famous for our generation you would know her from is in sister act one and two <laughs> and is yeah. is uh one of the gargoyles in the hunchback of notre dame yes literally working for decades upon decades upon decades yeah her first movie is in 1942 she does one two three four five six movies in 1942 that's insane for your first year as making movies and her last movie 1996 hunchback of notre dame she's so unique her 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 kind of persona as an actress is very unique of like she just has like this vibe this comedic kind of like like busybody vibe is the best thing i can like kind of pinpoint with her welcome to columbian what sort of accommodations would you like? I can offer you a fairly wide choice. Any room in the inn, including mine. Oh, we're not here as guests. We're the Haynes sisters. Oh. My friend and I are guests. We came up for the snow. <laughs> Where are you keeping it? Well, we take it in during the day. I'm terribly sorry, but I'm afraid we won't be able to use you. We'll pay you the half salary for canceling. Well, are things really that bad? We're using this ski toe to hang the wash on. You aren't going to stay either, are you? Well, if the girls are leaving i'll just get the luggage here all right the annie potts x factor award the supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable i think dean jagger i think it yeah i'm completely in i think he completely changes the, the movie yeah i am not satisfied with the conduct of this division some of you men are under the impression having been at anzio entitles you not to wear neckties well you're wrong neckties will be worn in this area 
And look at the rest of your appearance. You're a disgrace to the outfit. You're soft. You're sloppy. You're unruly. You're undisciplined. And I never saw anything look so wonderful in my whole life. Thank you all. And the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries this movie. Interesting question. Because I don't, I didn't have an answer. Um, I might say Michael Curtis here. I, I think I would say Curtis too. I don't think, even if it is still a flawed movie. Yeah. I think it would just be absolutely gone if it weren't for Curtis. I agree with you. I, I don't think it would be remembered at all. And that, and that, yeah. So that goes as one of the questions. It made us a separate thing, but that goes one of the questions that you, or that was posed in one of the articles you sent. Is like, how long do you think White Christmas has left? legacy wise i mean it's great for me it's it's a classic <laughs> for me it is in full rotation i don't know about everybody else but yeah i think it's it and and all the articles i've read that are like this movie's like really cheesy it's why is it one of the classics like everyone brings up like the end is amazing yeah yeah the it is and i think that's curtis it is purely curtis yes the, the 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 emotional heft of mm-hmm. this movie i think you can attribute to him and dean jagger and, and yeah that's it yeah yeah because it's like it's, yeah it's like it's all the moving parts at this moment in time it's like everything is built to this and and curtis again it's like you said he did the errol flynn stuff like captain blood adventures of robin hood they did gangster movies like he did so many different things so he so he knew how to do a set piece basically even casablanca he knew how to do a set piece and he knew how to end mm-hmm. a movie he knew how to end a movie on a very big emotional beat if it's casablanca if it's uh even Yankee Doodle Dandy, if it's King Creole, for ex- for example, like he knew how to kind of end a movie with with a, mo- a, a big emotional beat. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Okay, um, so our final questions. Do you want to try and recast I'm, this I'm today? Think, well, okay, so I have to think about this, and, and we might trim a little bit in the audio uh, in terms of my my gaps of silence here. Um, so the one name that came up to me, I don't, I don't know where to put him. So I'm gonna throw his name out there. I don't want to make <laughs> him like being Crosby age is the thing, but maybe he maybe I'm about to say is too young, so we can kind of talk through it. Zach Efron comes to me as like one of the guys <laughs> like or some here's the thing if I did the age thing you know who I honestly thought weirdly it was like is Hugh Jackman being Crosby and is Zach Efron Danny Kay oh okay and it's the okay. greatest showman stuff but like I was like because they have chemistry in greatest showman I feel no matter how I feel about that movie I think they have great chemistry together I think one of the best songs is there's their duet together but then you, you can't make you can't like make unless you make them like the sisters like a bigger in age range mm. is the thing like an older sister. Yeah, you're still gonna have that weird gap. Yeah, in there. so you need to have like an older sister and a younger sister, one for Zach and one for Hugh. 
And I, I, I'm trying also not to, to use the same people we use over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> we, we recently discovered that Anya Taylor-Joy can't sing. I'm just going to throw that out there. She would be. Oh, she would be kind of good. That was a recent, I, as, as someone who just saw Last Night in Soho last weekend, I did not know she could sing. Could, she does. could her and Amanda uh, Seyfried play sisters? <laughs> well, I never thought of that casting before, but that is perfect. They both have gigantic <laughs> eyes. Like, I, could they play sisters? Is the thing? Yes, I would buy that one hundred percent. So who's sold? Who, <laughs> so who's who's who? Who's ours? Mary Clooney. Man, this is how we have to do it. We have to we have to do the Hain sisters first. That'll be easier for everything else. I think I think Anya Taylor Joy is Rosemary Clooney. Okay. And Amanda Seyfried, can she dance? I don't, I don't, know. I don't Amanda know. Seyfried, can you dance? Please let us know. Yeah. Um, Contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Please let us know if you can dance. Yeah. It's it's me, Thomas. Uh, we met on the set of Dear John in, in 2009. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So that, those are those two. So who do we have for uh davis and wallace who are who are singing dance guys these days i know um, you know what all right all right all right if we bring in this guy then we can get if we're keeping with the michael curtis and getting like a more serious director who you wouldn't expect uh-huh okay okay we get we bring in jonathan groff and we get fincher to do it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god fincher doing white christmas would just be I mean, he would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> but Jonathan Groff is Jonathan Groff Danny K character. I think he's yes. Danny K character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you know what? You know what? For Crosby, someone we already brought up in the podcast. Let's give it to Gyllenhaal. Let's go. He can sing. Here's the thing. I thought about saying Jake Gyllenhaal before we ever recorded i I didn't want the age gap i thought about jake gyllenhaal very topical very topical topical. i didn't want to go there i i don't know what the swifties will do um uh but yeah i I, I am curious he's done broadway several times so i'm I'm very curious as to when we'll get his his movie musical debut how, how, how big is the age gap with this 15 years should we get should we get Taylor Swift in? It's ta- who would Taylor Swift play? Is Taylor Swift playing? Um, mutual, I'm sure. Mutual, I'm sure. Um, okay, maybe we just don't have this one. But we, there, those are some interesting ideas. Yeah, yeah. Out, now what about, what about Dean Jagger? This is one we could. Do, I think we could do. Who could play? Ooh, who's got? A, who's our gravitas guy? Who's our gravitas guy? Um, Denzel. Is is it Brian Cranston? Oh, I, I I is Denzel too old? I think I think it would. You do I, Denzel. I, I'm gonna. I, I, but I feel like Denzel is just like, I'm not doing this part. Like, this is too small. I'm not doing a, part. a musical. I'm not doing a supporting. You know what? You know what? This is this is what I've been waiting on. This is my smaller, meaty supporting role that Will Smith needs. <laughs> For a guy who has, like, thoughts on Will Smith, you always try to cast him and stuff, which I love. I, I love that you this is what i think he needs and I, it feels weird saying it when everybody loves king richard and he's probably going to be up for an oscar but i think or, it feels weird saying like hey back it up and start small but i think i think this i think he needs a supporting actor oscar okay so we're looking at that's what his career calls we're looking for. at will smith jake gyllenhaal <laughs> <laughs> um uh jonathan groff uh msa freed and i Taylor joy perfect 
directed by David, perfect, directed by David, is, directed is, by David Fincher. <laughs> directed by Fincher. There no, you just what you end is you don't have you end it with like Bing Crosby and them and, and Rosemary Clooney or uh, with the uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal and I Tell Joy not getting together. That's that's how you make yeah. it progressive. That's yeah, how you make it. Go. That's how you make it modern. You're too old for me. Yeah, <laughs> let me get me my let scarf me scarf back. back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so that's that. Um. So does this fit in with any other genres other than Christmas movies? I mean, yeah. We t- you kind of mentioned it's like it fits into the let's put on a show type genre, which was mm-hmm. very, very big in this time. Pretty much from the third once musicals became a thing, uh, from the thirties really kind of onward i think you i think you even kind of get nowadays when it's like the the fictional band movies it's kind of it's kind of transitioned or evolved into that um but yeah i think it's just kind of let's put on a show it's a rom-com very much so with with uh with these characters specifically Clooney and crosby so yeah i think it fits into kind of all those but yeah i think i mean it's it's like also war war adjacent war adjacent type thing not a war film. Got things to say about war. But it has some things to say about war. Specifically, it's it's yeah. The time period again. It's, it's weird. It's like because is it pre-Korean War? Is it post-Korean War? In terms of like when the film takes place, it was filmed after. It's just an interesting, interesting stance on military stuff or military activities. And how does this fit into the Christmas genre specifically? Well, it fits in. It, it really kind of captures the like goodwill towards men type thing. The kind of helping one another out during the time during the the christmas time um so that's very much at play here you don't really have the christmas carol kind of vibes that we've talked about but it is i mean it's, it's, you keep kind of keep kind of going back to like how to help someone out in their time of need mm-hmm. and how to like not be selfish in someone else's time of need that's that's the whole kind of like play of like the guy wanting to do a TV deal and, and Crosby's like, no, we can't do that. But Clooney thinks that he is doing a TV deal. So that's this kind of like self, she thinks he's selfish. And that's kind of the, the whole thing about Christmas movies is being selfless essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's very, that's very prominent in this film with, with all the characters basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, like we were saying that kind of that idea of like surrogate family, you know, if you can't, if you can't be yeah. with your family for Christmas kind of, bringing this group together that you can like celebrate the spirit of Christmas with. Yeah. People you want to be with. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So that's it. That, that I think that's white Christmas. Thanks. Thanks for watching. Even though it's, even though your mother banned you forbid you from, from watching. And this she's going to listen to this episode and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and we're going to talk about this. Like, why'd you have yeah, to maybe s- she'll reconsider. She won't. Or maybe she'll turn it off when I say that. I think Danny K pulls the movie <laughs> together. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll give her a heads up about this episode so she knows that we're talking about her. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's this week. Next week, the plan currently, we'll be covering uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. We'll be tackling the granddaddy of them all, but in Muppets form uh, of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, I'll have my, my, my friend Sean Randall joining me to talk about that, so stay tuned for that. I think that's streaming on Disney+. Plus. If you haven't seen it or need to go see it and catch up on on what we'll be talking about. Um, and again, also to make sure if you're going to help us out on the 200th episode, give us a call at 818-514-5714 or send us an email at sonationpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on social. We want to hear from you. We want to have your questions on the 200th episode. 
Um, but that's it on this episode. And if you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so that you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform this is the show on. Yeah, guys, give us, you know, the ultimate Christmas gift. A review on your chosen podcast platform. Yeah. If, if they Spotify, you can't do it, sadly. I don't know why. Blame them. But Apple, you can. Yeah. Stitcher, you can. Uh, and a lot of other places you can. So please do that. Um, and finally, uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. It's been about Fossey. Thomas, <laughs> thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Brandon. And thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.